I can't tell you how many emails I have every morning from people. They're doing the right thing, but you don't want to overkill because before a coach can even look at your video, if he's got eight emails from you, I'm probably deleting it. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Brad Wolverton, the host of Sports Scholarship Stories. I've written about college sports for more than a decade, interviewing hundreds of people about the athletic recruiting process. A few years ago, I wrote a piece called The Myth of the Sports Scholarship. And since then, I've spoken to countless parents and players, as well as numerous NCAA coaches and insiders, about the things colleges look for in scholarship athletes. My goal on this show is to share insights I've learned and to introduce you to people I've met along the way with the hope of helping your family land some of the millions of dollars NCA programs hand out every year. On today's show, we'll hear from Elwin McCroy, an assistant basketball coach at Coastal Carolina University, where he works under Cliff Ellis, who's one of the winningest coaches in Division I college basketball. Elwin was the subject of a big story I wrote about the high turnover among college basketball coaches. He's coached at like 15 schools over his 25-year career. One reason Elwin keeps getting hired, he's viewed as one of the country's best junior college recruiters, having played junior college basketball himself before landing his scholarship at Division I Cleveland State. The other thing Elwin is, he's scrappy. He's just five foot six himself, and that should tell you a lot. Not many five six guys play Division I college basketball, and he's got a lot of advice for players who maybe aren't the flashiest or the tallest about how they can get noticed. Elwin will help you understand the difference between trying to sell yourself to coaches versus letting them pursue you, why you shouldn't pay for a recruiting service, the importance of building rapport with coaches, the intangibles he looks for on the recruiting trail, what players and parents should ask on recruiting visits, and what advice he's giving his own daughter as a recruited athlete. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Ellen McCroy. Ellen, you have worked in nearly every type of college from power five institutions like Iowa State, where you flew on a private jet to recruit players, to Stillman College, where you and I first met when you split your time between living in a dorm room and an RV making $3,000 a year. How has the recruiting process changed since you started? The biggest change has been there's a lot more people involved in the recruiting process now. It used to be just the parents and the coach. And now you have an AAU coach or you have a friend of the family. And it comes down to that old saying, when you ask a lot of people a question, you get a lot of different opinions. And it can't appease everybody because everybody has their own thought about how a player should fit into your program. So it's made recruiting a little more challenging from the standpoint of you have to deal with so many more people that have different opinions. And that's, that's basically been the toughest thing about recruiting now. So if, if I play youth basketball, AAU basketball or something like that, and I want a college basketball scholarship, what are the most important things that my family and I should do to put me in position to get athletic aid? I think one of the most important things is just let it come to you. It's like playing in the game, how if you're a scorer, you let the game come to you, you don't force it because the more you force it, the more the game kind of runs away from you. And I would say the same about chasing a scholarship. Hey, if, if you're good enough, we're going to find you. There's too many avenues for players to really slip through the crack. That not that doesn't happen, but it doesn't happen as much anymore. I think too many people are so concerned with chasing the scholarship that they lose sight of just playing basketball. Let us find you. Word of mouth, the internet. I can't tell you how many emails I have every morning from people. They're, they're, 
they're doing the right thing, but you don't want to overkill because before a coach can even look at your video, if he's got eight emails from you, I'm probably deleting it. And that would be my biggest thing is don't chase the scholarship. Play the game. You'll be found out. There's too many ways for people, for coaches not to find out about you. And I know that sounds cliche, but I, I think there's a lot of merit to that. As you mentioned, there are lots of ways for players to get noticed. What are s- some of the variety of ways that players can attract coaches' attention? A few ways are you have scouting services where they can get him or her on, on a, the scouting list for coaches to to look at. It's not bad to reach out to coaches. I'm not saying don't reach out to us. But once you reach out to us, if you don't hear anything back, maybe a follow-up email. But then after that, then probably move on. And there's probably no interest. And I would say anytime you have a chance to try to set up something like on campus, like if if you're going to be in the area or you live there and you want to go see campus, just getting in front of us helps too. Because again, I work with making analogies. That's kind of how my mind operates. Like people hire people they're comfortable with. And it's kind of the same in, in the recruiting process. Yeah, yes, you get scholarships because you can play. But people like to recruit and sign kids that they become comfortable with. And when people have a comfortability with you, then the conversation flows easier. The communication becomes a little more not like, a, not like it's a job. I know I like recruiting guys and talking to them when it doesn't feel like I'm working. It's, it's more, hey, I'm building an actual rapport with somebody here. So you alluded to hearing about players through the grapevine, other coaches talking about kids or people letting you know about players. What are some of the most effective ways you hear about players? Scouting services. You have a variety of scouting services. Be sure you get what a service or get with someone who has a service that people respect. And I'm not going to call out any services. You have some services where you have parents who pay to put their kids on those services. Those are services we don't even really look at because if you have to pay to get your son or daughter to name on a service, come on now. That's not something you should have to pay for. Find out, do your research, get in contact with the people that have services that, you know, that, that are credible. And those are not going to be services that you probably pay for. You spoke about the rapport you want to build with th- these players. How important is it for you to have a rapport with their coaches? before you will even get that introduction to the player. Is that how mostly you're getting introduced to kids? Your network of coaches that you know? No, you know what? A a lot of times at this point, you usually talk to the kid before you talk to the coach. Now, if if the coach is involved in the recruitment process, yes. But a lot of times when we get these scouting services, yes, they have the coach's name and number on it. But if it's got the kid number and the parent's number, yeah, I'm going to reach out directly to the kid first, especially if there's video on him on YouTube or if I've gotten video on it, then I'll call the coach just, you know, as a follow-up and a courtesy. I'll let the coach know that I've talked to the young man who are interested in recruiting. This is where we see him fitting into our program and just go from there. It also depends on if I know the coach or not. Of course, you know everybody, Alan. You literally yeah. know everybody in college sports and in the AAU system. <laughs> uh, I'm going to tell you, I, all that changed and just like college basketball. You never know who's coaching from year to year. Okay, so go back for a second. You're talking directly to the student now. What do you ask players when you're recruiting them? Listen, I introduce myself. I find out whether or not they would have any interest in in the school that I'm at in terms of location, in terms of the conference we in. You know, um, 
I sell my head coach, my boss, and let them know why they need to play for somebody like him. Like right now, I work for Cliff Ellis. Cliff Ellis is, is going to be a Hall of Fame coach. He got over 800 and some wins on Division One basketball. You just get a feel for what, what the young man is looking for and just go from there. Yeah, I, I don't go into the situation with a format of questions, X and all, as I talk to him. It just flows. and I may not even get to everything, but the initial conversation will tell me a lot about whether or not I need to pursue this young man. So what would you say are some of the telltale signs that a player is going to be successful at the next level? Humbleness. Yeah. When you're talking to someone, if they're humble about who they are, if they have a team mentality and not an I mentality, because make y'all campus, that's going to show up. You, you can only hide that for so long. And then just have their conversation in until... Real quick, it's almost like when you talk to a lady, you can tell pretty quick, eh, I, I want to pursue her. And eh, I, I don't know if she's my cup of tea. Uh, it's kind of like that. Just have a feeling that this might be the one you need to pursue. Along those lines, how can players best position themselves for success at the collegiate level? <laughs> you know, be a sponge when coaches are talking to you. Be courteous. Be humble. Because I'm telling you, kids are different these days. And the biggest thing that sets student athletes apart now is somebody who has manners, somebody who, you know, that you just enjoy. It's a breath of fresh air talking to somebody and it's not just all about them. Somebody helps you get here. Your teammates helped you get here. It's a different breeze now, man, because there's a lot of conversations that are very eye oriented with these student athletes and it makes it kind of tough to to want to recruit them, <laughs> to be honest with you, because, you know, they're turned into a situation where they're probably not going to be the guy right off the bat. We got to go out and find somebody who's a good fit, even if they're not the most talented. Their fit could be their talent, if that makes sense. Yeah. When you think about what a player does to make you interested in him, a little bit of it is obviously how humble they are, how well they fit into your system and the vibe you get off of them. What do you expect them to do when they come in on a recruiting visit or as you're talking to them so that you can tell that they're the kind of player that will fit in your system? When players take visits, you can tell right away in terms of their attentiveness when you're speaking, when the head coach is speaking, whether or not they ask questions once you're done talking, how they enter with kind of with your team. Do they fit in or do they shy away from not being a big man on campus. And then, shoot, man, just your guys tell you a lot the next morning at breakfast or whatever about how they were hanging out that night or, or whatever the case may be. But let you know what you're dealing with. Because kids act different when they're around you versus when they're not around you. But yeah, just that. I, I've been a part of some bad business where you have parents and then the student athlete and you just feel like they're disinterested or you feel like they don't think you're doing enough. You're there to cater to them. That's what a visit is. And yet you have some people that just are very appreciative. Just like they're taking time out of their day to come there, you're taking time out of your day to have them there. Do you expect players and their families to come in and explain to you why they think they're a good fit, sell themselves on you a little bit, or is it really just the other way around where you're just selling them? You know, I, I think it can work both ways. It's more on us of doing the selling because we're recruiting them. And people need to understand this. A lot of times when you're the one selling yourself, that pushes coaches away because that kind of throws up a red flag like, Oh, is this kid really good enough for us? If they're trying to sell us that hard on a kid, something may not be right. It's just a coaching. If a kid is recruit you, you think hey, this kid may not be good enough. It's a fine line as a parent and a student athlete that you need to toe. Yes, you can sell yourself, 
and you should, but not to the extent that it makes a coach feel like you need them more than they need you. What's the biggest misconception that prospective athletes have about athletic scholarships? Guys and parents need to understand (laughs) that, listen, everyone is replaceable. All right. You are very expendable as a student athlete. As harsh as that sounds, it's the reality of it. And people think that they think that you can say or do what you want to. Hey, you can be replaced at the end of the year and nobody will lose any sleep. That school will move on with or without you. It's no different than being an employee. Guess what? Coastal Carolina is going to operate with or without Ellen McRoy. We're all in the same boat. So people need to lose this concept like somebody still because nobody needs you. You're replaceable, just like the next person in line. How can a, a player best protect himself from losing that money? Hey, be a good student, be a good person in the community, be the best player you can be. And produce doesn't necessarily mean on the court all the time. There's only one ball out there. You can only have that. What's that old saying? You got one chief and you got to have some Indians. You know, it's okay to be an Indian, but be an Indian that don't, that doesn't cause problems. Be an Indian that doesn't disrupt the program. Coaches aren't dumb. They, they know who's disrupting the team and who's being beneficial to the team. So figure out how you can fit in and do what you need to do to stay there. And your role will change as probably as each year passes, you know, what your role is as a freshman may not be your role as a sophomore and so on. Patience. I know that's a hard word, but. It's a very real word. If you're patient, you're doing the right things. You never know when your opportunity may come. You talked about the cutthroat nature of the business uh, or of the game, which is basically a business. How do you weigh whether to re-up a player's scholarship? What kind of factors go into that? It could be from production. It could be from somebody's grade, how you are on campus, off campus. There's a lot of factors that play into it. More times than not, you wouldn't be let go just based off production. But again, it goes back to a lot of times when kids aren't playing, then they become a problem in other areas. And once that happens, you're opening the door for your uh, ticket out of that program. When you're in the recruiting process as a player, what questions should you ask coaches? I hate when people ask, coach, are you, you going to be there? Do I plan on being here? Of course. That's why I'm recruiting your son or daughter. Yes, I plan on being here, but can I sit here and guarantee I'm going to be here all four years? No, I can't. I'd rather have a coach be honest with me that way than to tell me, oh, yeah, I'm for sure be here for all four years. We can get fired. I can get a, a better opportunity that helps my family out. I think people need to ask when basketball is over, what other ways could you help my son or daughter be successful? Are you somebody that they can always call back to? And maybe you may, may not better help them, but you have a network of people who they can connect with to help. Obviously, people ask, you know, what role do you see my son in? And again, those roles can change depending on your son's production and depending on who else we have. So then that's an open-ended question as well. If you want to be more specific, what role do you see my son playing on your team this year? And the yearly answer will be, it also depends on the production your son is putting out will dictate what role he has. I think parents lose sight of that sometimes. They forget that as coaches, we recruit a young man or a young lady with this idea of if they're the same kind of player that we see now, this is how they fit in. But you never know until you get a student athlete on campus. Until they get on campus and they actually start playing, you can have ideas. kind of like everybody has a plan that you can get hit in the mouth. How, how are you going to respond once you get hit in the mouth in terms of are you going to adapt to the new situation, your new surroundings, to your new role, or are you just going to 
pout and, you know, complain about, well, coaches and playing. Well, hey, hey we want to win. We want to keep our jobs. We want to keep getting paid. So we, we're going to play the people that we feel like give us the best chance to do that. Great way to put it. So you talked about this a second ago. There, there really aren't many fields that turn over as much as college coaching. You're like this personification of that, which I wrote about in the story on you. Now it sounds like you've been on like 16 schools in 23 years. How much weight should a young student athlete put on the coaching staff when they're choosing a school? And, and like you have your own daughters right now who are getting into the age of the recruiting process. If you were advising them, what would you suggest they prioritize in the college decision? Prioritize the school first in terms of, is that some place you want to get your education from? Is that a city you could live in? If you weren't playing basketball, do you like that city enough? Do you see yourself there? And, and then how's the diversity? How's the culture there? How do you fit in to that community? Because sometimes it's just not a good fit. And yeah, you may not know that until you get there. The one constant thing in life is change. Yeah. And as long as you're willing to adapt and make adjustments, then you'll probably be pretty successful because ain't nothing else in life guaranteed, but change is. And, and you don't have to have it all the time. You don't have to be like me, like a poster child. But when change does come, you know, are you willing to make the adjustments, the necessary adjustments to, to adapt and become successful? You've played for and worked for lots of different coaches. What should players look for in a coach? As assistant coaches, we're usually the ones that build the relationships because we usually deal with them on a, a daily basis. But from a head coach, I would want a head coach that was around the program so that we could know who he is as well. Yes, I know he got his family and so forth. But it's hard playing for coaches that you don't know, that you only see when it's practice time. Again, making another analogy, it's a bit like being a parent. It, it's hard to have your son or daughter's respect if you're only there when something bad happens or when something good happens. As a parent, it makes it easier to parent when your kids know that you're there for the good, the bad, the normal, and everything else. I think you get uh, a better reaction from them when you're trying to trying to raise them. What makes someone stand out the most to you? Yeah, without knowing anybody, without seeing any film, and I'm saying this being all of five, six myself, so I wouldn't stand out if I sent an email to somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, I obviously size always stands out. You're going to be more likely to look at an email if you see a you know, six, eight, six, nine, six, ten versus a six, three, six, four guy who they say as a post player or six, four, six, five point guard versus a five, six, five, seven point guard. That's just the way it is. Size usually stands out first, but it doesn't mean everything by no means. Um, and then I, I would say the way the email is presented to us. You know, a lot of emails look the same. The only thing that makes a difference is the name that's in there. They have the same format. Be creative in how you, how you send out an email. I'm not saying anything crazy like, I don't need to open up the email that's got fireworks on it or nothing like that. But, you know, be creative kind of and, and, and the way you present it and, and what you say, because you can tell when something's copy and pasted. And here's the biggest thing. If you send out a mass email, be sure you blind copy <laughs> when you send it out, because those are the emails that get trashed the quickest are the ones that have 50 other coaches on it. Yeah. Hey, blind CCS. All right, if you're going to send out a mass email, be sure you BCC so people don't know who else you send it out to. 
course. You're a five six guy yourself. How did you get noticed and play Division One college basketball and get a scholarship? What were some tips that you could share with uh, with people? It wasn't so much. I went to Trinity College Drought, okay, which allowed for a few more coaches to see me. And not saying Jerry College is for everybody, but just like Division One, not for everybody. Just because you don't play Division One doesn't make you a failure. The name of the game is to get your education paid for. I don't care what level it's at. Uh, I went to Jared College route, which enabled me to get seen a lot more being from Kansas. And it worked out for me. It was a great choice for me to go junior college, which is how I ended up in at Cleveland State. A talent today that a lot of coaches talk about and look for, whether or not a young man or young lady, whether or not do they play hard. So many kids today, they they don't play hard. They don't. And I'll tell you what, it is a turnoff to have to teach effort. If you play hard, don't talk crazy to the referees. You don't have to talk crap to the other team. But you play hard, do what you're supposed to do. You may not be the most talented person, but that will stand out when a coach comes to see you. Are you a tough kid? And when I say tough, I don't mean fight tough. Are you a tough kid? When there's a bad call, do you just go back down and play the next possession like it didn't happen? If there's a bad pass that somebody made to you, do you scrounge up your face and talk crazy to them or make them feel bad? If you make a bad play, does that dictate how you play the next possessions? You know, if you're not making shots, does that dictate how hard you play on the defensive end or anything else? You're rebounded. Those are things I like to look for because when you can affect the game without scoring, then you can always have a place on my team. Ellen, I noticed when you and I were together, you didn't take a lot of notes, but you did study these players. You did watch and you did recruit. And I'm, I'm curious, are there any other things that you're looking for when you're watching players? Just those signs of kids, like you, you mentioned, effort, the, the intangibles. What are those kinds of things look like? Intangibles could be, does he cheer for his teammates when he's not in the game? Does he jog on and off the court? These are things that I was taught when I was coming up. And they were important things because they all played into the team concept. Because you can't be a leader if you're not doing the little things to show everybody else, hey, I may be the best player on the team, but I'm still doing all the intangibles. So if I can do them, why come you can't do them? What else? You know, does he dive for loose balls? Does he hand the ball to the referees or does he just let the ball just roll off and have the referee go pick it up for himself? Again, these are things that people may not even think about. But these are intangibles that play into, hey, this is a kid I want to coach. This is a young man I want on my team. So this is all coming a little bit full circle for you. You've got daughters who, some of whom play sports, one of whom, as you mentioned to me before, maybe even a low division one basketball player. What advice are you giving her as she's starting to think about the, the recruiting process? How early does she need to start really thinking seriously about where she might want to go? And what are some of those considerations you're putting in her head? You know what, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to be, I guess, on the opposite end of, yeah, parents that think their son or daughter is the best name since sliced bread. I got news for you. There's always somebody better. Okay. So I'm trying to be one of these parents where I tell my daughter, because she just changed schools, and she was the, the best player at the school she came from. And I was, there was a couple of times I caught her having this attitude, and I was like, hey, listen. Don't get full of yourself because if you were that good, then you'd be making everybody else in your team that much better. So, which means y'all would be winning some more. Go back to being humble. Stop thinking that there's a difference in being confident and cocky. Don't be the latter part of it. You can be confident all you want to, but if you're so good 
then everybody else on your team will be better because you're making them better. So unless you're doing that, you don't really have a whole lot to say to me about why somebody else ain't doing something. But that's just me as a parent, because I see too many times from these student athletes, it's always somebody else's fault. Hey, once you look in the mirror and have some broad shoulders, and if there's something wrong, figure out how you can fix it. And it may not be you shooting the ball. What can you do better? You set the example for how everybody else should play in terms of the effort. I think young men and young women that have those intangibles are the ones that are successful in life because there's only so many that basketball is going to be a career for. So sports is a great teacher because it teaches how to deal with adversity. It teaches you how to accept change and deal with it. And it should teach you some accountability in terms of it's not somebody else's fault. I didn't look in the mirror. Maybe it's my fault. Maybe I'm the one that needs to change and not everybody else. That's great advice, Owen. Last question is, you mentioned you've obviously dealt with a lot of parents of athletes coming through as recruits. Now yourself being a parent of an athlete potentially being recruited. What do you advise to parents about how they should um, be part of the recruiting process and how important their role is? You know what? In my opinion, a parent's role, you want to find out all the information you can. Obviously, in terms of the coaching staff, the school, I would even reach out to other past players who have played for that coach. I don't think enough parents dig deep enough and talk to former players. And not that you're trying to dig up dirt, but what you should be looking for is some consistency in whoever you reach out to because a zebra doesn't change stripes. Talk to other coaches about what, what their opinion is of the coaching staff, of the head coach. But understand this, it goes back to the more people you talk to, the more difference of opinion you're going to get, which is why you should look for the consistency and whomever you choose to speak with. That's great, Ellen. Good luck with uh, the rest of your coaching career. You've been a great resource for people today on the recruiting process. Thanks so much for taking time with us. Man, I appreciate talking to you, Brad. It's always a pleasure, man. And I know anything you touch is like gold. So I'm glad to be a part of it. (laughs) Well, let's see where it goes, man. Thanks so much for taking time.